Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the lion's den. The day before the conclave officially starts, the 2022 Holy Smokes Conclave here in Colorado, and I am with one of the pillars of Holy Smokes Tampa, the Tampa Bay area, Scott Smith. Scott, dude, it is so good to finally meet you in person. We first met on the virtual hearths that we were doing right at the beginning of COVID, and I was like, I like this dude a lot. And I've watched that Tampa group grow through your leadership and Brian Olson's leadership. And Kay and I are so proud of you guys and the way in which you're really developing a great community out there. So, dude, it is so I'm honored to have you out here in Colorado. Welcome to Colorado. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> so, first question, what you're smoking? I'm actually smoking an Opus X. I have not smoked this particular one before and save it for special occasions. I like to document uh, mm. what cigars I'm smoking and who I'm smoking them with. Mm. And so, uh, top 25 cigar aficionado. I'm actually going back from... 2021 as far as i can for as many that i can find back to 2004 <laughs> i believe is when they started yeah and so this is uh being out here smoked one last night first time ever in colorado first time in the lion's den and just a great evening last night of fellowship friendship and fine tobacco and so save this one also for a special occasion very awesome awesome so Where'd you grow up? I detect a bit of an accent. So I assume probably somewhere in the South. That is correct. So grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And what kind of a family did you grow up in? Family of faith? Yeah, good question. So, so yes, uh, it kind of leads a little bit into uh, part of my story. So I uh, uh, grew up getting basically drugged to church. Um, uh, parents were always, (laughs) parents were always there and, 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 and it it was a good, it was a good family, great, uh, uh, family, faith-based family and kind of led to, I I walked forward when I was nine years old, but it was more of a situation. We, we had a, think a magician there and I thought it was kind of cool. And then, but I was more curious at the end where they were taking everybody to people walked forward and I was like, where, where did they take them to? They, they talked about taking them to some room or whatever. And then you didn't see them in the parking lot afterwards. So I was curious, where, where do they actually take these people to? And so I walked forward and, and went back, spoke with somebody, got baptized. And, and that was kind of that. Well, fast forward a, a few years and I, I was basically uh, playing church and I got called a, a hypocrite when I was in my early teens and I didn't even know what it was. I was like, what, what is a hypocrite? And they said, well, you act one way inside church. You act a different way outside of there. I was already drinking a little bit, experimenting with uh, some different uh, uh, things. And, and I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to fix that. I'm no longer going to go to church. Now, now I'm not a hypocrite. <laughs> so so that, was, that was how I dealt with, with that. And so fast forward through my rest of my teen years, college years, but, but I always knew something in the back of my mind. I always felt something. I didn't want to mislead other people. And so that's why even, even not having a relationship at that time with Christ, 
even though I was a member at a church, I guess, on their documents, I still didn't want to. I still knew there was something about it. And but at the time, I wanted to live for myself. Mm-hmm. I thought I had a pretty good life with things and, hey, I can do it on my own. I can do it my way. And, and so a lot of years, hey, I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep doing this. And all that, uh, all, all that changed somewhat when, let me see, 2003 or so, I moved to Tampa. And I was there four years. I mean, what took you out there? This, this is my late 20s. So I, I went there uh, for, for a job position. So I went into medical sales and met my now wife. And, but we started going to church. So I wanted to go around and I told her, I said, hey, this is important. The reason I went to church was, hey, I, th- I think we'll have a better chance of keeping our marriage together. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason that we went. If, if we're getting married, then I want to have this. I just always knew in the back of my mind, I can't explain it, but I just always thought that, hey, this is something that will, will give us an edge on keeping our marriage together. So we actually joined a church, 2008, fast forward. So we, I mean, it, it, it was a big year, so... When I got married in May of 2008, inherited uh, what I call two bonus kids. Love them to death. They're now almost 24 and 25 years old. And so had an, had an instant family. And, and so we, we had started before that even going to church and trying out some different churches. And found one that we both felt, hey, this could be the one. Got involved there. I get involved pretty quick. I went in, sat down with the pastors. And, hey, I want to find out who's in here teaching the kids and so sat down with a lot of them, got really involved and fast forward. We, we, let me see, we got, we got married in May, 2008 and it was in September. My bonus son, I think then about 10 years old, looks at me uh, one night, we're tucking him in bed and he looks at me and says, Hey Scott, I want, I want Jesus in my heart. Hmm. We didn't know it, but he, he was up there, not like a lot of other kids his age with, with other magazines or whatever, but, but he, he was actually reading the beginner's Bible under the sheets with a flashlight at night. And so, so God used him <laughs> in our lives and everything. So he said that, but I'll never forget either. I told him on that. I said, I said that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we'll, we'll get that taken care of for you. So we'll take you to church and get that taken care of for you. Because I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And so... I was down working in, in Naples, about two hours south of Tampa, about two weeks later. And for some reason, we had not gone back to church. And I've heard other people talk about it. It's the one time in my, my life that I, I heard God audibly speak to me. So I was driving back up uh, I-75 and, and had music on um, in, in my truck. And I, and I heard, what are you doing? And I was, I was, I was like, what, what is this? Is this something kind of Zeppelin like backwards? And, and so I turned down the, I turned off the radio completely. I was like, man, I must've just hurt. Cause I thought somebody was in the truck with me in the back seat. I'm looking yeah. back, I've got a Suburban, got a couple of rows yeah. back there and I'm going, Who, who's in here with me? Oh, I must've just been hearing something and it comes again. What are you doing? And I knew instantly. So, so the one time I've heard from God, he, he corrected me and he had to say it twice for yeah. me to, to understand it. But right then I, I knew what he was talking about and picked up the phone, called my wife, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably running people off the road and everything. And, and just, 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 Hey, we, we like, this is serious stuff. Call my wife. Hey, is Julian. Okay. Is Julian. Okay. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I was, I was like, no, 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 just, just call the school and everything. Make sure he's okay. And because I realized right then, like, this isn't something to mess around with. 
And so she called the school, probably thought I was going a little crazy or whatever. But the next Sunday, we, we took him to church. So we had, we sit up there in the front row. Always had, <laughs> always had the kids and everything. It wasn't that we were front row Baptist or anything, yeah. but I kind of scared the kids. And I said, hey, everybody in the church behind us can see you. So sit there, pay attention, don't fidget and everything. Don't get on the floor, like, like all this stuff. So I thought that they would behave a little bit better by putting them up there. Yeah. And so we're on the front row and altar call came at the end. And we'd already discussed this, that we we're going to be walking forward. And Julian wanted to, to go up there and accept Christ and, and so the altar call came in, and I, I don't know why I started playing games. So I was like, God, you know what? I mean, this is really meant to be if they play Amazing Grace on, on this one. And, and all of a sudden, it strum up, amazing. And I'm going, wow, okay, that was a little weird. And, and so then I'm still not. And I go, you know what? Only if there's a second stanza in this. And all of a sudden, they usually didn't play. All of a sudden, the second stanza hits, and I'm going, and everybody next to me, my wife, two bonus kids, I think my mother-in-law was, all, all of them were looking at me going, why, why isn't he walking? Boy, like you only got to take like two steps and we're right there. We're already at the front. Like this shouldn't mm-hmm. be a big, I really felt like I had concrete blocks on my feet. I could not physically move. Mm-hmm. And so it finishes, they finish the altar call and everything. The service concludes and everybody starts leaving. Well, one of the pastors that I knew is walking over there kind of close to us. He's probably about a yard in, in front of me or whatever. And I just, I, I lunge, like I still can't move my feet and everything. And I just kind of lunge out, almost tackle the guy. He's kind of like, hey, hey Scott, what's, what's going on? And I just said, hey, we need to speak with someone. And he goes, okay, let's go. Yeah. So we go back uh, to a side room and they separated us. I went with Julian and my, my wife went with my bonus daughter, Cameron. And uh, we sit over there, Julian gives his life to Christ. And the pastor looks at me and he says, he says Scott, are you okay? And I looked at him and I said, no. I said, I, I walked forward. I was a member of the church, but I always had religion. I didn't have a relationship. I, w- I want to firm this up right now. Hmm. So right there, man, a little choked up, but uh, right there gave my life to Christ. And then right after that, go over there. And I look at my wife and she's crying. I'm like, well, why are you crying? And she goes, I just gave my life to Christ. <laughs> so she grew up Catholic. We had not talked about this at all, yeah. but all three of us within a couple minutes, really, yeah. all three of us uh, gave our lives to Christ. My bonus daughter, she said, she said, I still got questions. And we were like, good, good. Uh, that's fine. So a couple weeks later, she went in, spoke to somebody and, um, uh, they said that she gave her life to Christ. I showed up right afterwards, but moving forward in life, and, and I've probably had five arguments ever with her. I mean, we just we've always got along uh, great, but it's probably in that fifth one that, that we got into something, and, and something came over me, and I just I looked at her, and just pretty point blank, I, I looked at her and I said, I said, "You never accepted Jesus," and she looked back at me and she goes, "You're right," and I looked right back at her and I go, "I'm sorry," and she looked at me. I said, why, why are you sorry? And I said, because you felt pressured in that and felt like you had to because we did. We should have talked to you about that. I am sorry. And so fast forward, uh, she didn't. Um, mm. For a while through that and, and even uh, la- later on, I mean, this is, this is probably four or five years ago. Uh, well, she was going off to college. And so I was like, man, she still hasn't accepted Christ. And and uh, by that time, too, uh, we also had a, uh, a, a daughter, a biological daughter, 
and uh, she accepted Christ when she was uh, five and a half years old. And, and just, I mean, she, my goodness, <laughs> she, she, my wife and I challenge her in Bible trivia and she wins. Like, like it's just, it's not fair, but she, she's now 10 years old, but she had already accepted Christ. So I'm going, yeah, we still have this one family member here. And, and so I had her sit down with kind of called in a favor. Hey, senior pastor, Hey, my bonus daughter and, and her boyfriend, like they're heading off to the same college and everything. Like, will you sit down with them, talk to them? They, they went in and talked to them, didn't give their life to Christ. And I'm, I've looked at the statistics. And so now they're 18 years old going off to college and worried. Anyway, she comes back home uh, about a year later. This may have been her sophomore year. And she, uh, I remember I took her to, to Cracker Barrel. Mm-hmm. And we talked to Cracker Barrel. Hey, what questions do you have? And, and so had a great, great conversation. And, and, and uh, we, we just kind of ended it, kind of felt Holy Spirit saying back off and, and so did and ended the conversation. Just said, hey, let's pick this up some other time. And, and sounds good. Great, great. Well, the next time she's in town a few months later, she comes back. I'm like, I got this all planned out. I'm going to take her back to Cracker Barrel and everything. And we're going to see if this progresses. And, and, uh, and, and this is all my plan. So, so we get in the, the truck and we're headed back to Cracker Barrel. And, and on the way, I look at her. And for some reason, I asked her on the way. And I just said, hey, so you've been thinking about what we talked about last time. And, and uh, uh, what questions do you have? And, and she just completely just shuts it down. Just, I don't have any questions. And right there in my, my humanness, my, my Scottness in it, I replied, and I still regret this to the day because this is not how you handled this. But in the moment, I just I kind of lashed out. I, just, I said, what do you mean you don't have any questions? Like, you know why we're going to crack about You know why we're having this conversation? Like, what am I doing? I got so many things to be doing, and we're going home. And I turned the truck around and mm-hmm. went home. I still regret that to this day. So, so fast forward another uh, six months or so. We, we haven't gone back to Cracker Barrel. She's back in town. I'm like, well, maybe we need to go someplace other than Cracker Barrel on this one. So we go to a local uh, brunch place, and, and I just asked her, and I said, you know what? Just don't mess it up. Don't screw this up like you did last time. Just be there for her. Have a conversation with her, and don't push anything. There's no agenda to it. Just spend time. And so we, we uh, did that, and, and throughout the whole meal, just talked about other things, great conversation and everything. And, and then at the end, I looked at her and I was like, hey. <laughs> and I figured, hey, if it, if it goes downhill, like, we've already got the check and everything, and we're going to walk out of here. Like, it's not going to be some long. And so, but I looked at her, and she looked back, and she, she goes, you know, I accepted Christ already. And I looked at her, and I was like, what, what? And in my mind, I'm going, whatever. But I asked her, just the, the question is, when, where, who are you with? But she said, oh, I was a couple months ago where well, I was in the car by myself. And so she answers all that. But what really got me too is, uh, is she said, hey, there's other people in my life that, that need to hear about Jesus. And they're going to be tougher than I was. So right there, I went, man, this is real. Then I had a couple of tears and everything got shed. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, does your mom know? And she goes, no. I said, do you want to tell her? Do you want me to tell her? And, and why do you need to tell me? And she goes, because I knew you would act like this. <laughs> and I was, I was like, this is like one of the best moments of my life to hear that you made uh, this decision. So, so that's where re- really the whole family at that time. And, and that's where kind of the, the next part of my story went was to reaching outside the family and just kind of the journey that that took me on. So let's go back. Tell me about your parents. Parents, uh, uh, both of them 
grew up in, in Alabama, one in Birmingham, one in Alexander City. They, they met at Auburn University. So I remember my dad taking me to football games at Auburn when, when I was young. I think I was about seven years old at one of them. We're driving back from a night game. And I, I looked at him and said, I said, Dad, uh, what college do you think I'll go to? I remember him telling me, he, he, said, he said, son, you can go to any college you want to. I'll pay for Auburn. <laughs> so I, I remember looking at him, I think I said, War Eagle, Dad, and, and fell asleep. It was probably 10 o'clock at night or so. So, uh, yeah, my, my, I did. Uh, my one sister, younger sister, she did as well. And it just uh, uh, it, it really was a, a good uh, a middle class upbringing. What they do? Church every, every Sunday. So, so uh, a father who's executive director for Alabama Gas Company. We worked a good bit. Uh, my mom, as well, uh, worked a lot. She she actually took over the uh, ironworks company, bought the ironworks company along with her sister, bought the ironworks company from their father, my grandfather, uh, who started it back in 1957. And the only reason he even got into ironworks was he, he was on a farm in either Tennessee or Kentucky and ended up having uh, five girls. And he was like, well, okay, not time to find something else uh, to do here uh, ended up being a, a, a lot of work but yeah uh, so so mom ran the ironworks company and in a industry that was uh dominated by uh by men in the industry mm-hmm. and ended up being president of uh, the national ornamental and miscellaneous metals association was one of the few people asked to come back a second time First woman president of it ever. Wow. Uh, they both were, were presidents of local JC and JCF chapters. So uh, big involved in leadership and local civic organizations. Siblings? Yes. A younger sister, three years younger, uh, who's there. And I got three nephews. Nice. So how, so you ended up in your late 20s going to Tampa. What'd you do between college and and moving to Tampa? So first job out of college, my parents weren't real happy, but I went in and worked with Abercrombie and Fitch. So I went to their manager and training program. I didn't want to wear a, a suit. And, and so I got to just wear clothes that at the time all, all the kids were, were wearing. And, and, uh, but jumped in and just wanted to start working on, on processes within about six months. Uh, the store manager was gone. I kind of temporarily uh, took over organizing things with the store. They ended up promoting me to and said, hey, we want you to take over the, the kids' store. And this is in Birmingham. And did that, started organizing that. The Black Friday, biggest day of the year, organized everything. And we shot up that led to uh, one of the VPs give me a call and say, what did you do on that day? He goes, you're like the 50th largest kid's store, but you were in top 10 in sales on that day. Mm-hmm. What happened? And I said, hey, we, we organized our hours, everything else, created a great atmosphere. And, and they go, okay, well, we want you to, and, and, and I talked to them already, hey, if I go up here and I, I turn around the store and everything, then I want to go to Colorado, which is ironic. Yesterday <laughs> being the first day I've ever been in Colorado, but that was my dream. I want to go really? out to Boulder, run the store in Boulder, snowboard on my days off, and go to UC Boulder for grad school. It was clear in my mind wow. that this is my early 20s. So I turned that store around, and then they go, well, we want you to move to Chattanooga now and, and, and turn around that store. And I said, okay, but if I do it that now, 
Well, you didn't get me to, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about that. So, so that happened and, and went in there. I think there's a 17.5% shrink rate, which means close leaving either employee theft or mm-hmm. out the front door with, with people taking them. So got that down to like three, three and a half uh, percent. Wow. So, and was just hitting bonuses on everything there. And, and so then they came back in, hey, and, and I mentioned it again, hey, now, now that this is done, Okay, let's talk about Boulder. And I'll, I'll never forget that. The regional manager said, you don't want to go there. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I do. And we've talked about this now twice. Mm-hmm. And we said that we would have that. And he said, I used to run that store. I didn't know that. And he said, you don't want to go there. So right then I knew that I wasn't going to be making it here. Did so. he explain why, you didn't, why he didn't want you? Nope. Really didn't get a clear answer on that. But he just said, yeah, you're not going to be out there running that store. So, okay, um, some other things uh, there, but, but I ended up leaving Abercrombie, and, and I'm in Chattanooga. I've got an apartment overlooking the, the, uh, the river there. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful, but I'm going, what am I doing? Like, I've got enough money saved up, made some money in Abercrombie stock, and, and uh, I'm still in my early 20s, and, and 9-11 happens. And I remember sitting there. I mean, I've got, the, like, the Wall Street Journal coming in. I'm reading it cover to cover just to keep me, me busy during the days and and I remember that happening and I remember picking up the phone and calling my dad and and, and saying hey what now like I'm up here I'm in a different city um let's talk through this and I'll never forget that he he, he said uh financial institutions uh energy companies he goes those are always going to be needed so I started looking at Charlotte North Carolina Birmingham believe it or not was one of the top four uh banking cities yeah. So you had four different major banks that were there, AmSouth, uh, South Trust, Regions, and I think Compass were all headquartered. And so uh, uh, I ended up putting on uh, my best suit. I hired a, a resume company that went in, started talking to, and, and putting that together. This and, is the guy who didn't want to wear a suit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> didn't I didn't on, want to dress up for work. I didn't want to wear the suit that day, but, but then I went there and I said, you know what I need? I need something. So I went there to Birmingham, stood on the corner. All four banks were on the same corner. And I just walked in, cold walked into each one of the four, ended up with being an assistant uh, branch manager at AmSouth. And so did that for uh, a couple of years. And, and that's really what, what triggered me coming down to Tampa was I was in the branch one day and, and I was the outside sales manager for it as well. And so I was working with all these commercial uh, companies. So I had somebody who'd set up like a, uh, I think they had a motorcycle shop, but the mom comes in, she's 90 years old. She walks in the branch one day and sits down with me. I find out, she goes, these are my, my kids. They told me to come see you. She had 30 insufficient funds charges, like overdraft. Mm-hmm. And I think they were 30 bucks each at the time. So she had $900 in, in, in these fees. And I'm looking at her and, and, after talking to her for about 10 minutes, I kind of looked at her and said, and said why, why do you keep writing? Like, why, why do you keep doing this and everything? And she looked at me, I'll never forget it. She, she goes, it doesn't make sense to me. I still have checks in my checkbook. And, and that, oh, that hit me and I went, wow. I went she's not yeah. understanding the balance and everything over. And I said, you know what we're going to do? Like, they'd probably get upset and everything if I just refund it. Three of them are going to stay on there. I'm taking 27 of these off. And this is how I sat there and talked to her and everything. So the uh, fast forward about a week, the district manager is in into the branch. And first time I get called into the, the branch manager, who I had a great relationship with, with, with her. And so the guy calls me in and, and I sit down in there and he goes, he goes, hey, we got to write you up. I said, what? 
write me up. And he said, yeah. And he goes, did you do this? And I said, I said, yes, I did. And he said, you didn't, you weren't authorized to do it. And I said, I, I, I remember looking at him too, because Anseth at the time had, had a big thing behind him, the tellers that, that said the relationship people. And I looked at him and I said, you tell me, this is a situation, their sons and everything. This lady came in, said this and everything. Did we build or hurt that relationship right there with that whole family? It wasn't even money that they really cost us anything on it. And we still charged a 90 year old lady $90 on this. You tell me that, that was the wrong call. And he goes, he goes, again, you did not have authority to do this. Technically, yes, he was right. And I was wrong to do it in it. But that's the first day I ever went back to my desk. First time I ever got on the internet there. And somehow I ended, I don't even know how it happened, but I ended up on a website watching how blood flowed through the heart and, I, I, and just the different uh, uh, ventricle. Chambers. And, yeah, yeah, chambers. And, and I look at it and I went, I'm going to get in medical cells. So I started making some calls and uh, first two companies got offered the job, didn't feel right, turned it down. Third one, I walked out of the, the, the company or, or out of the office after, after they told me they wanted me to move to Huntsville. And, and I told them, no. And, and, and I basically told them, I said, I'm not going up there. I've got a track record and everything already. I'm not going up there to be somebody's gopher. And, and, uh, the, the, and the president had to take a, a call and he walked out. He goes, he goes, I like your style. And he's like, I got to take this call first. I'll be back. And he walks back in and he goes, we're probably going to be expanding into Florida. Would you be interested in moving to Orlando? So I'm in Birmingham and I, I do. I love Birmingham, but I'm like, man, Florida, like people retire there, like mm-hmm. go and get an early start on that. And, and so, yeah, let's talk. So long story short, within 30 minutes, I'm offered the position in, in Orlando assuming that they get the contract and everything there. And then uh, uh, shortly afterwards, ended up, I started making plans and everything had apartment lined up in Orlando. And uh, shortly afterwards, the uh, uh, nonprofit that we would be working with down here or, or down in Tampa uh, said, no, we want him actually in Tampa to work closely with us here and then cover the whole state. And so I saw some of that clearly in my mind. And, and I think I was 25 at the time. And... I called, I remember calling my mom when I, when I pulled out of the parking lot and, and I said, Hey, just want to give you a heads up. I'm moving to Florida. And she said, Hey, we need to sit down. We need to have dinner. We need to talk about all this. And I said, that's all great and everything, but I'm moving to Florida. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened uh, there. So, so then medical cells, five, seven years, some things happened there. I mean, I'm an Auburn guy. I was, I was working for an Alabama guy. I should have known that that wasn't going to work out. <laughs> but uh, top sales are up three out of four years, and and uh, just some things went went down that that shouldn't have that weren't anything with me, but basically forced out that position where where they cut off our entire company from representing that, and I happened to be right in their backyard. So just overnight, I was 100% commission. Everything got shut down. This is back in 2008 when everything else mm-hmm. happened. When got married. Except to Jesus, the whole family. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're in the middle of a recession. Had I, and I decided to start a marketing company in the middle of a recession. It was it was, it was brilliant. Uh, so so <laughs> a lot of years and everything getting that going. But that's been really cool to see how God's used that over the years. Mm. So what are you doing now for work? So I run a couple of companies. Well, main one, we've got your customers. So uh, build what we call online marketing machines, a term that we trademarked. So doing websites, but from a marketing perspective. So we only 
bring on clients that we are very confident will bring back a multiple of what they're paying us each month. So a lot of local service businesses, everything from uh, construction companies, roofers, landscape companies, uh, that's some insurance. Uh, we work with probably 30 or so different niches. So uh, the second company, Visibility Doctor, is built off of the same thing, but for doctors, so it has a HIPAA compliance component to it, but basically the exact same thing. Chiropractors, dermatologists, companies like that. Hmm. So Scott, was that transition, going back to when your bonus son accepted Christ in 2008, what what was that like for you that the time between when he said that and you accepting Christ and even that journey afterwards cuz you I, I would assume having grown up in a very religious legalistic environment that I grew up in there are some hurdles and obstacles in that journey what was that for you yeah, uh, when when he asked me that question and said, or he just told me, he said, Scott, I want Jesus in my heart. It, it, it really bothered me because I didn't know what to, what to say. I mean, even growing up in, in a Christian home, we, we, we hadn't discussed that. We hadn't discussed really pointing others to, to it was always just kind of, hey, they're going to see us by, by, by what we do. And so I always thought people would just come up and ask, hey, why are you like this? And, and well, I guess I need this, Jesus. But uh, I realized there, were, there was more to that. So I went off on a search for what we needed to do now. So this is probably around 2010, 11. I've been a believer for, for two, three years at the time. And the church was offering, I'll go to a mega church, and, tap, and then they, were, they are offering a course called Share Jesus Without Fear. So really good course, went through it. Uh, my wife and I went through it together and we got to the end. We got to the last day. And I remember kind of wrapping up and, and I had this fear building up inside of me. Like, like what are we going to do next? Like, like are we going to go out? They're going to make us like knock on a bunch of doors and are we prepared? Are we not? Like, what are we doing here? And, and uh, it kind of finished and it was like, all right, we're done, guys. And I remember uh, two other ladies, two other older ladies in the back kind of looked over and go, Scott. What, what do we do now? Are we going to go practice everything we've done? I was like, I don't know. Let me go ask the pastor. So I went up and asked the pastor and I said, hey, uh, what do we do now? And he, goes, he goes, nothing. You got the certificate. You completed the class. You're good. And I said, but aren't we going to go knock on doors? Aren't we going to go do something? Like the, the name of this class is Share Jesus Without Fear. Like what do we do if we're still afraid? And, and, and he looked back at me and it's kind of a witty response. But he looked at me and he goes, well, I guess you're just going to have to go share Jesus with fear. <laughs> and, and, and so witty response with it, but at the same time, I felt like somebody punched me in the gut because still didn't know, didn't know where to turn. Like, like how do we tell other people about the joy that we now have? Yeah. And so fast forward, uh, another year or so from that, there's another, uh, uh, lay person in the, in the church who calls me up and, and says, would you like to go knock on doors? And I'm like, his name's Rick, and, and I remember telling Rick, uh, it, was, it was during the week, I've got a business, a marketing business that I'm just pouring 
80, 90 hours into every week, just everything that I can do, everything I can put in mentally and, and it's still upside down and you're building, it's taking a lot longer to build. I, I thought I was going to build it and it was just going to take off. And so I'm like, I have to take time off in the middle of this day to go, but something was really compelling me too. So I told him, I said, I said, yes, I'll meet you. So I remember, never forget that. So we're walking into uh, this apartment, a rough part of Tampa, and and I look at Rick, and I put my finger in his face, and I said, Rick, I was like, you don't make me say a single word in here. I'm just here to observe. Don't make me say a single word. You understand? And he looked back at Scott, okay, Scott, okay, okay, okay. No, no problem. Now, I'll never forget this. We, we go in, and, and there's a guy who had leukemia for like 22 years, and he's sitting there, and he's got a, a worn-out Bible. He's got a whole stack of notebooks next to him. And like 20 of them. And they're all filled with notes and everything. We've just been sitting there studying. And, and so uh, Rick sits down, gives him a clear gospel presentation, tells him, hey, you don't have to work towards this. It's a free gift. You just have to accept. And, and, and the guy gives his life to Christ in, in between breathing treatments while we're sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm over there almost, almost in tears. I'm like, man, like that, that was awesome. And, uh, but then his wife comes back. And she had been to the grocery, so she walks in the door, and hey, hey, and, and uh, comes in the front door. Her arms are, she's got like four bags on each arm, and I, I still hate this to this day, but I didn't get up and go help her. Like, I'm still just sitting there, like, my job here is just to fly on the wall. Like, I'm fr- I didn't even help her bring the, the bags in. So, but she brings it, so I think she has to go back and get a second load, too. And I'm just like, hey, well, the husband goes, hey, you need to hear this. Tell her what you told me. And so Rick does that right there. Another gospel presentation is a little bit different and everything than the first and everything. She asks some questions. She gives her life to Christ right there. And I'm like, man, that is awesome. Anyway, we leave. Fast forward six months later, I get a call from Rick and he goes, hey, you remember that guy that with, okay? and I, man, how could I ever forget? And he goes, I just got word that he passed away. Mm. And so I thought about that right then and I went, man, what if we were too busy to be available that day? I mean, God mm-hmm. definitely could have done it without us and everything, but mm-hmm. being out there that day, like, like that just experience, that just affected eternity on it. Like he was headed one place, he ended up in another. Like this is real life stop here. So, so after that, started, signed up for, uh, or actually I got asked to lead a mission trip and be trained and, and they're like, hey, this guy's getting involved in everything and, and, and I remember sitting down with the international missions pastor and I told him, I said, I said, shouldn't I actually go on a couple of these trips first and study under somebody before I take a whole group of 10 to 15 people into a, another country? And, and he said, no, we're going to train you and everything on this. And in the second part of that, I, I thought I was kind of clever in some of my questions. So I went out and started trying to talk to people about the Bible. And some people would look back at me and say, hey, the Bible's not true. I, I don't believe the Bible's true. And so I, I came up with a witty response and I would ask them, well, but when, when you read through it, what part was not true? And they, their jaws would just drop because none of them had, had actually read. And I was like, well, when you go back and read through it, then come back and we'll talk. So I, and, but, but God convicted me on that. And he goes, he goes, hey, buddy, you've never read it cover to cover. And so that had been slightly before I was asked on this. So I, I told the, uh, the pastor, I said, you know what? I've got my marching orders right now. And I'm about a third of the way through. I need to finish the other two thirds and, and then we'll talk. I'll, I'll see what my next step is. Ask God what my next assignment is. And so did that, went on a couple uh, mission trips, went on to uh, Costa Rica, went to uh, Haiti where my, where my first two. 
and then went back and I said, okay, I've been on a couple now. And it just the timing wasn't right and still had not been asked to, to lead any uh, mission trips, which is something I've definitely felt called to, which mm-hmm. is interesting because next Friday, I just got a call last week after stepping away from something else that freed up some margins, something else that was a really good thing, but I felt God saying, I'm questioning, like, like step away from this. And I'm going, why, why? And uh, it didn't make sense to me. But then two days later, I got a call and said, hey, can you be here on this following Friday and go through the training to lead um, international mission trips next year? Mm. Timing's right here, we are a decade later. Mm-hmm. And God opened up uh, that door for that to happen. But uh, in the meantime, after uh, going on a couple of mission trips, I came back and I, I went, you know what? Like, why, why are we, why are so many people just on the sidelines? Like, like even me for the first couple of years, I, I got involved in, and was just plain church. And I was going through the motions there. I was going and being entertained on Sundays. We got some traditional knowledge transferred, everything. And, and then we went throughout our week. To, and, and, but where, where's the action throughout the week? And so I started uh, uh, talking to, to groups, too, about going in, on inter- international mission trips, going into Sunday school classes. And God really put this on my heart and started having conversations with people. And he was like, ask these questions to it. Number one, is God good? And so people in church, everybody's raising their hands. Oh, yeah, God's good. Like, I'm in church. Like, I should be raising my hand right now. Like, I, okay, second question. Is the Bible credible? Yes or no? Is it inerrant? Yes or no? And you, most hands still going up and everything. Some people probably had some things they wanted to discuss. And but most of the hands. Third one. Okay, if, if God's good and the Bible is true and is our source of truth, are we giving commands in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Well, Yeah. Well, what are those commands? Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. That comprises all the Old Testament commandments on loving God and loving others. And that's what Jesus commanded us to do along with the Great Commission. Go forth and make disciples. So I looked at it and I said, why are we not doing this? That the main verb in that is make disciples. All the other ones support that. But making disciples wasn't something that we were discussing at church. I, I didn't see other people uh, uh, doing that. Did, and so, so I started looking around and asking other people, like, like hey, I went back to somebody in, in CBMC. And I said, hey, the area director, I said, hey, will you disciple me? And I actually had pride in everything that mm-hmm. I had to let go of to mm-hmm. even go and do that because I was going, hey, I mean, I got to ask somebody else to do it. And so I wonder if other people out there are experiencing the same thing. Yeah. So I got really involved in, in the disciple uh, making process. And, and, and I actually even going back to Atlanta and meeting Buzz, I met another gentleman there who's been pouring into me for the last two and a half years, has helped me develop a personal guidance system, which is a one page sheet that I filter all life's decisions through. I'm able to quickly say yes or no to different um, things that I'm asked to do through that. So when, when I got asked uh, as well to be on a uh, leadership team uh, for, for young professionals for CBMC, to help put some game plans in place uh, nationwide. The guy asked me and he said, hey, Scott, will you be on this? And, and, and he, or, or actually he said, his words were, Scott, I want you to go back and pray. I want you to pray about being on this. And I, I told him, I said, I don't have to pray. And, and, and I'll never forget, he goes, he goes, I want you to take this seriously, Scott. Like I'm asking everybody to go back and pray. And I, I told him, I said, John, I don't have to go back and pray. You know why? He goes, why? And I said, you remember... Three weeks ago when, when Bill came in 
and spoke to my group of 10 men that I was facilitating. I had Mm -hmm. him come in and talk about the personal guidance system. I've already got my personal guidance system in place. It's already been prayed over. If it didn't line up with my personal guidance system, I'd be telling you no right now. So do you accept my yes or not? And, and John started laughing and he goes, yes, Scott, I should have known. Yes, I accept your, your yes. But that was the personal guidance gives us such a clear a one page sheet that, that we're able to quickly say yes or no to anything that we're asked to do. Whether either it lines up with what God's given us to do with what our purpose is or it doesn't. And it allows me and others to quickly say no to things that are good, but maybe not great uh, allow for margins to be able to say yes to the great things. Talk about that for a little bit, uh, your personal guidance system. Where'd you get that? And what does it look like? Because I guarantee you there are people listening right now that they're like, ooh, that sounds really interesting, like something I might want to investigate and maybe even create one for themselves. Yeah, so the amount of time that's put in, uh, uh, def- in as little as two hours. A lot of people, I take people through this in, in two hours. I've taken dozens and dozens of people also, also through this and seen, seen lives absolutely change where then they realize this is what God's called me to do and I just haven't been doing it. But it's a self-discovery. I, I don't tell them anything to, to write down, but we, we go through a whole series of things. Bill, I believe, uh, developed it. And basically it's taking our different skill sets and, and uh, gifts that God's given us. Uh, we're all created uh, unique and, and then putting those into place and, and asking God, well, what are my personal result targets? So we develop uh, six different personal result targets out of that, what we want to accomplish over the following year. And I've seen that time and time again, writing that down, that, mm. that God keeps fulfilling those mm. year after year after year. And, and those can take uh, a lot of time to further develop. But in that first two hours, you walk away with a sheet. Mm-hmm. And then you can invest as much time as you want to after that. So I've got mine for my personal. I've also got a work guidance. I've also got a family guidance. I've also got a spiritual guidance system. So all of those allow mm-hmm. me to stay on target, on track. And so when somebody walks away and they've written it down, and then they go back and they pray over it. And, and Bill always says, write it in pencil because there will be some things that you go back and, and, and you change later on. But uh, that's, that's so, so powerful when you have something where you're waking up each day. Uh, an example, a lady was walking her dog in my neighborhood. This is right when COVID happened. And we're walking in and she, she goes, hey, you're, you're a pastor, right? And I said, no, I'm not a pastor. And she goes, but is your church getting back? And I said, yeah, we're starting to get back. But about God telling me, ask her. And I looked at her and I said, hey, I got an interesting question for you. And she goes, yeah. I said, has anybody ever asked you uh, who you're discipling or who's pouring into you? And she goes, uh, no. And I said, would you like to go over a personal guidance? Somebody showed me this. Would you like to also see this, spend a couple of hours? So we jumped on a Zoom call and ended up discipling her for another three, four months after that. But on the, on the uh, uh, Zoom call, I think two weeks we divided into an hour each week, but she developed her personal guidance. And so she came back a couple weeks later on the, on the weekly Zoom call, and she, she, goes, she goes, Scott, you won't believe this. And I go, what? She goes, her, her, uh, what she realized on her personal guidance was that she was always called to pour into and, and disciple middle school-aged girls. It was that clear to her. So she comes back and she goes, you won't believe this. I just got asked to head up for, for vacation Bible school. The, uh, I think it was the fourth and fifth graders. And, and she was so excited. And I go, no, I, I believe it. 
And so anyway, fast forward another month later, we, we, we had stopped at that time, I think, going through our weekly discipleship calls. But I see her out walking the dog and I go, hey, hey, how's it going? And she looks at me, she goes, come here, hey, I got to tell you this. You won't believe this. I just got offered like a full-time position teaching fourth and fifth grade girls. And she goes, I am so happy. She goes, when we first met, I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. She goes, now I feel like I am living out the life that God created me for. And she said, I just want to thank you. And I go, no, 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 (laughs) not me. I'm just teaching you something that somebody else taught me on this. Thank God for that. Like he's Mm -hmm. the one who created you to do this. You're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Now you're happy and, and, and joyful because you're living that out each and every day. But just countless examples of similar stories like that. Hmm. All right, Scott Smith, let's get to rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. Fire. Here. All right, so Scott, for people that obviously can hear the difference in the audio, we are now at the pre-conclave Thursday evening event at Bourbon Brothers, and because you had to scooch to go golf for a tea time, I wanted yes, to make sure yes. to honor you guys. So how did that stick treat you? Because obviously you don't have anything in your hand, I don't have anything in my hand right now because we just resumed this thing. How was it? Uh, stick was awesome. Uh, yeah, we just got here. Ready to light one up in just a minute. I had to, have to get to these rapid fire questions first. So when did you first try cigars or pipes? First tried cigars. So, so uh, even pipe, I was smoking a pipe sometimes in, in high school. Uh, so cigars kind of off and on just a few at a time, but really ramped it up probably about 10 years ago. Yeah. And then big time uh, when, when, when COVID hit and uh, started spending some time on the front porch and and that's when found a few online re- retailers and and just had boxes I actually had to take my wife on a walk the first time that I won some bids online <laughs> and and, and, and kind of hey we need to talk about this there's gonna be a package showing up if you happen to get it before I do then just understand I didn't plan on winning this many but I'm good the rest of this year uh, so 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 really ramped it up and, and and just loved it I mean that's really too when the community and everything that we talked about before really started ramping up as well been amazing you ever do pipe? Not in a long time. I would like to pick it up. I was looking at some uh, yesterday at, uh, what is it called? The, uh, the, the the local cigar shop we're at yesterday. Stag? Stag, yes, yes, yes. Yep. They got a nice little pipe collection in there. I was checking out some of those too. Yeah. Favorite cigar? Favorite cigar? Um, for me, that's in different... I've got it for different circumstances. Like when I go fishing, I go with like a southern draw kudzu. Uh, went on a Caldwell kick for a while. Andalusian bulls are, are, are tough to get. That's one I love to, to, to gift. And, and was my first one ever was gifted to me. It meant a lot to me. I was actually able to give one to a, a, a cigar shop owner who never had one just a few weeks ago in Georgia, and 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 I, I just I love being able to give that to people, and that, that probably is my go-to. If I was able to get that all the time. Best dollar for dollar cigar. Best dollar for me right now is probably the Umbagog by the Barton Tobacco and Trust. Really, love that stick. I love a lot of the stuff Steve Sock is coming out with. Umbagog is absolutely amazing. Under ten bucks a stick. Nice. Where's your go-to place to get cigars? Cigar bed. Go-to place. Uh, uh, was at the beginning cigar bed, 
gotten a lot of stuff recently from uh, Cigar King, support Cigars International, so that's our local shop there, Cigars, uh, Cigar Castle, Grand Cathedral, J.C. Newman, a lot of the shops down in Ebor. I love supporting the local shops. I love Ebor. I love those shops down there. It's, oh, yeah. it's pretty bad. There's a couple of people smoking. Uh, one's from Nika Habana that we brought out here from Ebor, just and also from uh, uh, the Jesuits from Grand Cathedral that we brought out here just to share with people this Oh, weekend. I'd love to try one of those. I'll get you one in just Thank a minute. Thank you. What's your splurge cigar? You're celebrating what's your splurge cigar? The, the celebratory cigar? Oh, I've, I've got I've got one drawer that I look at that has just different ones and just depends on the occasion. The one smoked this morning, uh, top 25 is the cigar aficionado. I'm going back and smoking every top 25. There's been a cigar aficionado trying to get as many going back. So been able to smoke two of those. I brought a, another one that we'll smoke this evening just to capture and remember these circumstances here. So celebratory, uh, the two I've smoked since I've been out here, Opus X. Just wanted to save those for a special occasion and, and smoke them in the lion's den and out here with everybody. What's your favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Depends on it. Uh, I, I really do like IPAs. Uh, a good port wine, though. Actually, a Holy Smokes brother showed me that a few years ago at Davidoff in Tampa. And he was like, hey, just take it and dip it in the end here. And, and I loved it. I, actually, we got done with our meeting, and I, I stopped by Total Wine on the way home and bought three bottles of port wine on the way home. I liked it so much. Who's the most interesting person you've ever met through cigars? Most interesting person for cigars? Man, that, that's, that's a tough one. I, I can't even narrow that down. I mean, just, just so many, just so many uh, great conversations over it. What I've loved about Conclave is sitting down and smoking cigars with people that I knew from Zoom calls from online that people had introduced me to when they came to Tampa and said, hey, do a Zoom call with it. And then it led to another Zoom call. So don't, don't have one person. Best place you've ever smoked? I'm very good at this. Best place. Probably my, my favorite play, uh, Red Phone Booth in Atlanta, is, is when I found out about Holy Smoke, so that's in the running. Also, Grand Cathedral in Tampa. I just love the ambiance and everything there. Marvel or DC? <laughs> uh, ne neither for me. Neither? Star Wars or Star Trek? Or well, it was always Star Wars back then. Favorite food? Favorite from my, my wife's breaded steak. Sports teams? Auburn University. Obviously War Eagle. War Eagle. Any other teams? So, so other sports teams, yeah. I actually grew up a, a Green Bay Packers fan. And in Alabama, there were no pro sports teams. Brett Favre came from uh, Mississippi next to us. And I remember hearing him talk one time, and he just wanted to go back and be on the farm, be on a tractor, and, and so became a Green Bay Packers fan with that. And now box with me being in Tampa. And then also, I had a really good role model growing up, Daryl Strawberry, so I ended up becoming a big Dodgers fan. <laughs> Dogs, cats, neither or both? Neither. Nickname, growing up. Did you have one? Uh, sometimes Scooter, but, but not, not really. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? I've been to uh, mission trips and uh, seven international mission trips and I'm about to start leading international mission trips to third world countries. And nice. Are you a reader? Yes. Voracious. Favorite one to three books not titled the Holy Bible? Oh, favorite one to three books. Uh, ones that come to mind right now, uh, the, the Slight Edge is one I've gifted a ton, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Actually, uh, 
me see uh, which one I listened to twice. Atomic Habits. So that came Ooh, back. I listened to that. That's the only book Habits. I read twice last year. Love it. Atomic Habits is one I read last year as well, and it, it something inside of me shifted, and I started making regular breath work uh, just a part of my daily morning routine, just about daily morning routine. And, uh, and yeah, also whether, some- it's, whether it's Wim Hof or Buteco breathing or something like that, something before I get out of bed, I'd do that. So speaking about that, uh, getting a lot of different habits from uh, Tim Ferriss' books, going through and reading about different people who are successful in their niches and what they do, got me to start taking cold showers in the morning so to really wake up and get the day going which is probably similar to like your ice bath that you talk yeah, about. Yeah, my cold plunge. Yeah, I love my cold plunge. Oh, I'll stick with the showers, but <laughs> maybe try it one time. Dude, you're out here for the weekend, so come over. Come over. I, maybe, I, I, I got it set, set for 43 degrees right now. So. I'll give you a maybe on that. <laughs> if you could be any animal, what would you be? Animal. Uh, eagle. Nice. So partly, partly war eagle, but my granddad also had a quote a while back, and he said, hey, you're never going to soar like an eagle if you're surrounded by chickens. Ooh. So that always stuck with me. Ooh, that's a great quote. If you could live anywhere, where would you be? Well, Tampa, maybe Costa Rica, uh, Belize, uh, just wherever God leads. What's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? Greatest strength, uh, uh, organized organization and leadership. Uh, greatest weakness is is probably uh, mercy and empathy. I always score lowest on those, and, and I used to think it was a weakness until my wife took a spiritual gifts test, and, and she scored really high and on, on that. And I was like, oh well, that's. But I realized it was. It's not a weakness per se, but it's my weakness. And that's why I read about how empathetic and everything merciful Jesus is. And I was like, that's something I really need to work on. Wow, that's cool. That's insightful. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? Greatest, I've, I've had so many mentors that, that have poured into me over the years, and that's something I try to pass on, but probably my father. What do you do for self-care, to rest, to recharge? Smoke cigars. <laughs> What's the best type of cheese? Provolone. How do you want to be remembered? Remembered? Oh, that, that's that, that's deep right there. Uh, actually, going through exercise, and they have books written about it too. About some people think it's morbid, but envisioning your own funeral and who's there, what do they say, and everything. Thinking about that ahead makes you uh, dictates what you're going to do now. So I'm a firm believer in not letting the past influence everything and in, uh, your present, but thinking about in the future where you want to be, and that should be what dictates your current actions. Ooh. All right, what does Holy Smokes mean to you and how has it contributed to your spiritual journey? Holy Smokes means a lot to me. Um, obviously, with the Tampa Bay group, I think we're currently at 227 members over the past uh, uh, less than two years that we've been going. Just seeing the lives changed in that has been absolutely amazing. Uh, coming out here a year ago, I was going, man, these people are crazy flying into different states. And, and then fast forward a year, I'm one of the people flying in because of the relationships and everything. It's all about the relationships with me. And there's very few places that those type of talks and that, those type of, that type of friendship and fellowship takes place except over a cigar and over a meal. And those two places, we're able to do both here, which is awesome. Mm. You could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Uh, Jesus. Images, so, so. Hey, I'll go, I'll go with living, I'm gonna say my next three people. So my next three people tonight. So I'm always looking forward, not ever looking toward the past. So just uh, the, the next three people, I love hearing people's stories. I love you capturing these stories. So the next three people, and that will always be my answer. <laughs> All right, last question. If we were to meet one year from today, 
and I got that IPA or that port wine, what are we celebrating? Hopefully we're celebrating a successful international mission trip. And that's something that's been on my radar for, for leading one for, for a decade, about to go through training starting next week on that. And I'm just really excited to be able to pour into other people on that. Like I've had uh, seven different leaders pour into me uh, as we've gone in and, and just, you never come back the same. You always go in thinking you're going to bless the people that are there. But I always almost selfishly feel like I'm the one who comes back blessed. So we would definitely be celebrating. Scott Smith, may our Holy Smokes community be praying for you in that journey. Thanks for being on, my man. I love, love hanging out in person. Finally meeting you, my man. It is so good. Thanks for being on. Same, Steve. Thanks for having me. wanted to announce that we have holy smokes gear that's right we have swag we currently have hats shirts stickers like for your vehicle or your travel humidor magnets even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab that's holysmokes.club i'm super proud of the shirts they're made with bella canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable the hats fit wonderfully which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer like Guayabara shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. Thanks. Thanks.